Hi, my name is Cesar Cavazos and welcome to Friction Law. I am joined by my co-host Rick Blaylock and we are here to bring you the best insights of UX, developer experience and how we experiment with the extraction of joy, struggles and other emotions when using technologies. Let's get started. Hey, hey. Cesar, welcome Estamos to another week. Estamos en, en live. Al aire. Oh, I thought you said en live. I'm like, is that some like Spanglish thing? No, en vivo. No. no. En vivo o al aire. You say like on air, like radio. Al aire, okay. I guess. Not en vivo. En vivo is probably a concert. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Life. I guess it applies for both. Right. How you been, man? Yeah, not too bad. Just busy, busy working. Doing the fish brain thing. It's been fun. All this product stuff we're working on. So busy, I busy. I see in your hat you have a Marlin and then in the back you have a new. Oh Marlin. man, I'm representing two Marlins. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this painting is awesome. There's a guy, he's famous down here. A lot of people might not know, him, but in, in this area of the country, there's a painter from the Cayman Islands called Guy Harvey. And my we love him. We love all his his stuff. And so we were down in Fort Lauderdale. And I walked into his, his store, his art gallery, and they had, but they had it printed on aluminum and they then had the original, oh. which was a lot of money <laughs> there. <laughs> and it's like, there was loss of definition on it. And so my wife was like, Hey, we like this, but we don't like it on aluminum. Can you do it on canvas? And they're like, Oh, we got to talk to the artist and you know, Guy Harvey, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, okay, go do that. And so long story short, they put it on canvas and then we talked them into put them in on this wooden black frame and we went into the store to pick it up and he was there he just like happened he's from the caymans but he just happened to be in fort lauderdale and he showed up with his easel and his canvas he's like hey you mind if i camp out here for the day so we got him to sign it and this is the first one they liked it so much they're going to start selling them in a black frame for now on yeah so we got the first one got it signed pretty cool but i love it i think it makes the room look great yeah very fishy <laughs> yes it is very florida i have ted lasso here okay that works here. did yeah. you just rotate apple tv plus uh shows there no that's probably the only one that i have i have a chalk mandalorian over there and that's about it i think those are my good two shows that i would like to have around fair enough all right so cool all right so today this week has been busy, man. We have a few things to talk about and some things that we're, that we're planning to do some friction locks about it. The first one is Turbo Repo. How do you yeah. describe it? Yeah, so Turbo Repo, we want to do a friction log on it, just haven't to yet, but it's worth mentioning. So Turbo Repo was, I think, bought by Vercel. I don't know what that means, though, because I think it was an open source project, so I don't know what that means. But anyway, it's under the Vercel umbrella now. And it's a monorepo system that does all sorts of things, hashing of builds and like it, um, everything that you would expect a monorepo to have. Mm -hmm. It like helps with that part of it. And then it's like native integration with Vercel. It just kind of works. So it looks cool. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but that's definitely something we want to try and uh, do on a friction log. Yeah. I, I think, I think some of these ones that we want to do all kind of relate to each other because you're working on open sourcing our website. And then, and while you're doing that, we can actually 
go through Turbo Repo, go through Repo Beats, go through Code Sandbox projects, which was just announced what last week or something. Yeah, it's still in beta. So yeah. Those is it are the a, three. Is it a special invite you have to have for the beta uh, or I'm open not beta? Sure. It says just sign in early access. Uh, I don't know. I guess okay. we gotta try it out at some point. Well, we can ping them to get it and say, hey, we're gonna do a friction log on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have code sandbox projects, which we keep getting more and more of just trying to set up IDEs on the web, like the entire stack on the web, which I, I mean, it, it sounds cool. Like I imagine myself in a, like somewhere and I need to go and do a code change, but then I always have my laptop with me. So yeah, I know I'm the same way. It, it's hard to imagine not using VS code or something. Mm -hmm. But they're cool. These projects are cool. And it seems like maybe two years ago, there was this huge influx of everybody wanted to do this and everybody had their own solution. And yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how Code Sandbox handles it. Yeah. And we talk about it, right? Because we were thinking about, I think it was triggered by the iPad Pro, right? Everybody yeah. thought like, okay, this is what we need to actually go and do it. Well, it hasn't happened yet. I was reading the other day, there are starting to be some applications built on Swift Playgrounds out of the iPad, but they're very basic still. So right. I don't know where that's going to be. But even some of the interactions with Safari, even with the cursor and the keyboard, it just... I don't know. It's not quite there yet. At least not for me. We'll right. see. Yeah, hundred um, yeah. percent. And then Repo Beats. What is Repo Beats? It is Repo Beats is this cool little like analytic thing for your for your repo, but they're just pretty charts that you can embed. You, you know how like a lot of readmes have like a chart or two or whatever, but this is like next level. This so is like somebody. I'm looking at it. Somebody took whatever values that are available out of the GitHub API and just make charts out of it, right? Number of issues and pull requests and the mm -hmm. frequency and, and some mm -hmm. of that and made it pretty because you can yep. definitely make ugly charts. That's so true. <laughs> so, and it has that little the square dots of which it goes on theme with your GitHub profile, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Right. It seems it seems like it fits there. It's just uh yeah. Nice. So we are, those are the three ones, but we haven't gotten to a lot of friction logs lately, but I do have some first impressions on the Apple Studio display that I got last week. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause last podcast, we were talking about it from, you know, ignorance, but now you got one and I canceled mine. Like we, yeah. like I mentioned last time. So, <laughs> which I still almost bought one, by the way, even after I canceled it, it shows you how ridiculous I am. So, yeah, I'm really curious to hear what your first impressions are. Like, what, what do you think? There's probably a bunch of different categories. Every review I've watched is a bunch of different categories. So what about, let's just talk about the display first. First, wait a minute. Do you have a MacBook Pro, the new one, the 16 yes. inch? Or the, okay. It good. is the 14 inch. So 14 inch. I, okay. But you have yeah. the, the ProMotion and the new, okay, good. So that's that's helpful because I wanted to ask you that contrast. So let's talk about the panel. So if some people are complaining, it's like, what, a four or five year panel? And it it's not like the new MacBook Pro. So what, what are your impressions on that? For everything that I can tell you, it's still the same panel that IMAX 5K used to have from like four or five years ago. So it is exactly the same thing. I didn't have a five make, uh, 5K iMac, but I've seen them multiple times and use them and it is pretty much the same thing 
right? So it's not new, but it still looks way better than any other monitor that I have had. Okay, that's, um, that's good so to know. That's it cool. Is, so compared to what, what other monitors do you have right now? I have rotated. I always come back to, it is a Dell U2717D, uh, which is a 1440 non-retina Dell monitor. One of okay. the ultra So you jump fine. from non-retina to retina scaled. So Okay, so that helps. What about compared to your MacBook monitor or screen? ProMotion, I'm I'm having a hard time trying to see it. Like sometimes when I'm scrolling, definitely the text refresh faster and I can read a little bit more where where typical 60 hertz screens, they take a little bit to render, but I'm not that picky on that. I do notice a big difference between the three on the blacks. So I think the Dell has, I don't know, 100 nits or something like that, where the studio display has 600 and then the MacBook has like, 1500 or 1300 or something like that so it's way more yeah uh, so the black the blacks do look better than my dell but not as good as the as the macbook pro that is noticeable now because Makes i have sense. them side by side right right now i have my macbook in clamshell mode so mm -hmm. it's up there so i only have two screens and the 5k looks very very nice i guess somebody that comes from an imac wouldn't notice a difference and they will probably feel like they're very they're getting ripped off just because it's the same panel but in my case it was an upgrade so i i do like it right right cool okay that's that's good to know so the blacks are better than i i did wonder about that because that it's still a backlit kind of led kind of thing yeah okay one of these days you're going to make an oled one that'll be awesome but i'm not there yet there is a mini led right just five thousand yeah. dollars <laughs> right right yeah that's true good point <laughs> so it's not a reference monitor the colors looks fine i don't know i'm quite happy with it uh, so with what everything have... except the stand though yeah i was just about to ask you so so you got <laughs> you didn't get the four hundred dollar extra stand thing right you it's just the one that's built in yes i got the standard the one that just moves back and forth and it is noticeable shorter than my Dell. The Dell, I can bring it down and a little bit lower than that. But if I raise it, then it's definitely, I don't know, four inches. That is like 10 centimeters for the non-US listeners. So it is a considerable difference. I have enough distance with them that I don't really, like it doesn't hurt my back or anything, but I do want to raise them. I do like them a little bit more. So I'll probably find a shelf that raises it maybe like four, four, four and so a half. So give inches. me a visual. Give me a visual. So where's the top of the screen at related to your eyes? I'm so just, if I sit here where yeah. everything seems, I am like one inch. My eyes are like one inch from the top of the monitor. So okay. It's, okay. It is. And so you would yeah. like it higher, like above yeah. your head, maybe is the top of the thing. Okay. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. I would like, yeah, maybe like four inches. So I'll let you know whatever I'm, I end up buying. I actually leveled them. So I lowered the Dell one just so they can be at the same level because it was definitely weird to have the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would drive me crazy too. <laughs> yeah. So OCD um, meters like pegged. <laughs> is it worth the 300, 400 bucks? I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I think I just, I would just raise it and then that'll be it. You can buy a $400 book and then it's like the same thing. Java. What was the Java book <laughs> that I had? It was like this big. Yeah. Java yeah. SC. I don't know. I, I have it somewhere. 
I already bought it. <laughs> it's funny. What about compared to your Dell? What's the like? What are some things that you notice that are better or worse? Everything is yeah. better in the studio display except the bezels. The bezels are twice as thick as the Dell one. Mm. And again, this is a monitor from like, I don't know, 2017, 2018. So I get it. Like I, I get why they have a little bit larger bristles and I get the depth of the, of the monitor, but it just seems weird. Like your new monitor has larger bristles than the, or thicker bristles. That's than a good the, point. Yeah. The other one. Yeah, I don't it's know. Like it just feels back weird. or something on that. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because this it's LG I got, it's interesting. This LG that I bought, it there's almost no bezel, and the mo- the actual panels outset. So it's like there's the bezels like behind. Hmm. It's interesting, yeah. But it it's kind of a cool design technique. But yeah, I that that is weird that the bezel's bigger. It's, eh. If you only have one monitor, you're probably not gonna notice it. Just just happens that I have the two of them side by side. So outside of that, I mean, the vase is definitely smaller. The Dell does rotate. I don't know, mm-hmm. like you can spin it. Right. Uh, so right now that I have the two of them and they're kind of like facing to me, the base on the studio display, it is twisted a little bit, which is not bad. I don't have a problem with that. I actually, one of the things that I was curious is I have a PC here and you were like reading all sorts of different results with the connecting it to a pc right right. um after i got the right cable which was my first purchase because i did my homework which is a bi-directional display port to usb-c it it worked and my pc can drive the 5k like nothing i even played halo on it which i know you shouldn't and and you kind of like want a, a high refresh rate as opposed to the larger pixels. Right. And my video card was definitely pushing it, but it played fine and it looks amazing. So, At what resolution did you play it at? Native. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, the video card is like a 3080 Ti. Oh, like goodness gracious. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was loud. It was it was very loud. The the PC was was definitely on with the fans and everything, but it worked and everything was fine. Wow. Okay. That's kind of cool. Super yeah. high res, man. All right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What about uh what about audio? I, I heard all the reviews I read, audio, everybody said it was the best audio they've heard out on monitor, which maybe is not the highest standard in the world, but like it is perfect for me i used to have a couple of airpods which i sorry home pods um which i like them in when you pair them as a stereo the home pod minis like you need two and they work very well when you pair them as one stereo speaker but they have delays and yeah itunes is horrible or itunes whatever the music app is horrible with with them with airplay as itself other than that i I used to have big speakers. I don't care for them anymore. I don't mm-hmm. listen to that many music. So for me, these are perfect. Perfect. The entire room can be playing music and it's loud and it's pretty good. So I have no complaints with it. Cool. Okay, good. What else? Anything else good, bad on it? I haven't even used the camera. I have an Elgato, which is the one that I'm using. <laughs> I think I turned it on like a couple of times. I read the reviews. I think I'm just going to wait for whenever they fix the issue it has with software 
Right. I did get an update on the monitor over the weekend. So I apparently mine launched with not the 15.4 build, but like something a little bit earlier than that. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's weird to get a 600 megabyte <laughs> for a monitor. Well, it's got an M1 chip on in it, doesn't it? Or it's or like the an bionetry. A13 or A13. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's got a chip in there. It's got it's a computer. And somewhere I read it's it it's got 64 gigabytes of storage or something inside yeah. of it too. <laughs> I yeah. think so, yes. It's it's just weird because I have it through a Thunderbolt through a Thunderbolt 4 dock and it goes to my computer and for some reason the update didn't work whenever I did it through there. So I had to I had to plug in it directly to it. And then it just, the Mac restarted and then the monitor was updated. I don't know. It just, it never think about updating your, your monitor before. That was a new thing, <laughs> uh, which reminds me, I had an interesting experience. The M1 Max, the MacBook was fine. My work computer is it's still an Intel uh, MacBook. I think it's 2019 or 2020. And that one it can drive up to two 5K displays, but only if you connect each monitor on each side. So you cannot plug them. You oh. know, it has two ports on each side. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so curious. I try, like, because my setup just makes it easier to plug it in into the right side. I try them, and it's not even two 5Ks. It's like the Dell and the 5K. And one of them wouldn't turn on. I thought it was the cable. I did a bunch of switches. And then I found this weird support article about the ultra fine 5K display, the LG one. Same problem. Um, where it mentioned like if like it can work, you just have to plug in one on each side. So that's a little bit annoying because it breaks my dock, like in a way. Like I cannot, yeah. they cannot go through the dock. Right. I just have to plug it in on the other side. So I gotta talk to my boss to get a new one. <laughs> hey it's making me connect one more cable <laughs> that's great <laughs> but that's it i mean so far so good i like i like the two monitors set up like but i don't like them to be different somebody gives me another studio display the only thing that i will wish was to have imagine the speakers that they will they will synchronize or play music at the same time. That would be awesome. Oh, that's, Other than that, that's a curious, I never thought about that. Two monitors. How does that work? Cause it does the spatial audio thing. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's interesting. Hmm. Which one do you pick? So that's, but that's my first impressions. Two weeks of use, one week and a half. So far so good. So should I go buy one? Right now. No, I'll say no, Cesar. Say no. Um, Come on. Don't tempt me. Just Stop buy it. two. Oh, Send yeah. Me one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's get to our friction logs. So, our friction log today is on Podman, which it's really kind of funny that we're talking about Podman because, well, I, okay. So, I was talking to my cousin Matt, and he was talking about Docker and how much Docker, all this memory it uses on his Mac, and it doesn't work, and yeah, you got to pay for it, and all this frustrating things. And um, I'm like, man, there's something, there's, there's an alternative to, to this. Like, what is it? And I couldn't remember the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been playing with that alternative. Um, awesome. <laughs> everything started when Docker, Docker.com, I guess, not Docker. 
or decided that uh, the Docker desktop, the only way that you have to install Docker on Mac was going to be a paid subscription if you were part of a non-small business, which is like 250 employees mm. uh, and less than $10 million in annual revenue, which my current employer is. So that was obviously they were negotiating and I think I can go and purchase it through the company. So it's not like I'm, I'm blocked from that option. But people in my team, we started to experiment some of those, starting with Thomas, which I think we talk about Twitter thread that you mm -hmm. were talking to him about that. So I, I gave it a try. I had to build uh, an application that I was going to deploy. So I was like, well, I might as well just go and try Podman. And I was surprised, frustrated, happy. I think I have one blocker out of my friction log and I still have a couple of things to try, but overall it is a replacement. It is so much as a replacement that uh, my first delight in the instructions that they have, you install it and then you can just make an alias Docker equals Podman. Hmm, uh, nice. And then so it's all the same just, CLI or API or whatever. That's really cool. Yeah. You can just keep using your Docker commands, which at the same time at some point got frustrating because I'm trying to learn it, the new thing. But then I still am using Docker commands. So for some things I was using like Podman image lists or like Podman processes. Mm. Uh, but then my Docker build commands were already shortcuts in, in the projects that I was working on. So mm -hmm. that was using Docker. So it, it is an alias. It's just you're not quite outside of the Docker realm and you're already in Podman. So, but that was my first delight, alias in your um, CSH uh, file. And that was it. Yeah, that's good. That's real cool. So, all right. So let me ask a couple questions. So, cause I haven't used this yet. First question, how's the memory and the footprint of it and the boot up time. And cause sometimes I wonder with the Docker Mac app, you know, you turn it on and it's like, can it boot up any faster, please? Like, why is this taking so long? What's Podman like in that experience? So Podman is, they call it demon-less. Um, so, <laughs> demon-less. So it is, performance-wise, I think it's faster. It does have a virtual machine and you can select different drivers to run it. So there are there are a few quirks there. If you follow the instructions, it's, it's a dropping replacement Docker. Once you get into more advanced stuff, then there are some differences. But so far, I haven't noticed something that I say, oh, this is making it slower. I did have to uninstall Docker that desktop, restore my computer, and then install Podman, and then everything started to work. You got to initialize the machine as Podman machine init or Podman machine start, and then you can set up some properties that includes uh number of cpus and number mm -hmm. of uh memory right the gigs of memory that you're planning to allocate to the vm so by default i think it's very small to run things like minikube which is your mini kubernetes uh cluster within your machine so I, and i'm gonna get to that because that was uh, a block but overall i have no complaints on performance i think my work computer spins the fans more for the Apple Studio display than for compiling up Docker images. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay, yeah. that's that's interesting. That's that's cool. So yeah. what about the UI? Does it have a UI like the Docker Mac app? 
No, I think that could be a friction for some people. It's not for me because I always use Docker from the command mm -hmm. line, but it, it doesn't have a UI. It's just uh, CLI, right? So it is a dropping replacement. I don't have any any other comments on that. It, it is good. There are two things that I known and have worked with Docker that I haven't. One is Docker Swarm, which is not supported. So if whoever is uh, watching this or listening to this, you use Docker Swarm that is not supported and they are not planning to do it because they believe that Kubernetes is the way right. that you orchestrate containers. Right. I mean, um, nobody really uses Swarm anymore, do they? I, I don't think uh, I know. I don't know anybody anymore that uses it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not here. So that's one. The other one, which is pretty good for like small things, like whenever you want to do a, a quick, I don't know, WordPress or something that needs a couple of containers, uh, Docker Compose, which mm -hmm. you build a YAML, right? And then you have a couple of containers running. There is a replacement called Podman-Compose, and I can drop the link on the show notes, but I haven't tried it yet. So I don't know if that works out of the box. It does follow the same spec. Like okay, so then it should yeah. be just like the so, other, just drop in replacement and run. Yeah. Okay. The, the weird thing is I didn't see an alias, like in the documentation, I didn't see an alias for it. So I was like, oh, maybe there is something different here because. They can just try it. Docker-compose equals whatever that, whatever the command is, just see what it does. And then, <laughs> and then we'll see. What breaks? So, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's uh, an interesting to try thing to try what else documentation you want to the documentation is different it definitely feels docker feels more like there's a ton of things to learn out of containers and i have the doc the docker documentation here and there's this all these options and even for installation and stuff like that where podman is more like an open source project where it's like very to the point introduction, commands, reference, tutorials, search. That's it, right? And the Docker page seems larger. So that was an interesting change. I think I prefer the Podman to find things, especially the introduction and some of the tutorials are, are kind of nice. So, but it's well-documented. I think everything that I face, I was able to resolve it by reading the docs, which we all should do some, from time to time. But so far, so good. They have a new version of 4. I don't know enough yet to know what breaks from the 3.x version. It was released earlier this year. And I believe it's something related with networking. But then again, most of the time that I develop in my computer and I'm running a container and things like that, I never worry about networking. That, that might be something that it is a major version. So I assume that are breaking changes. I just haven't noticed any difference because I'm coming from Docker. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? So I'm going to have to try this now. I, I yeah. haven't tried it yet. I'm going to have to try it. You should. They have good skills pages. I have a note here. Pages for somebody like me migrating from Docker and the changes that you can expect. And again, it talks a little bit about the networking, which I don't really, I don't really care because I didn't run into any issues there. It has also like somebody that it is new to containers. Some tutorials were like, hey, I don't know anything about it. So it's not like they tell you, oh, you got to go and learn a Docker and then come to us. That's uh, They do address that persona. And then it has all those advanced subjects, right, for container experts like networking and, and all the magic that happens for containers. So it's kind of nice. I do have 
my blocker was related to Minikube. The way Minikube works, it uses drivers, right? So, yeah. and that includes like VMware, VirtualBox, Parallels, right. SSH, Podman, Docker, HyperKit, HyperBit, looking at all of them. One of them is Podman, right? So I try to do what the instructions were telling me to do. One of it is making sure that the Podman VM starts with two CPUs and two gigs of RAM and some disk allocated. And everything seemed that it was going to work. Like I was able to, all the commands run successfully. But then at some point I try to connect to it and I keep getting this error call. It was something like DNS config forming. Search limit, search line limits were exceeded. So something was wrong with the DNS from the Minikube cluster to my networking, I guess, or my network interface on Mac. And I just couldn't make it work. I didn't spend more than 30 minutes there because I have a Kubernetes cluster that I could use somewhere else. Right, right. <laughs> so I wasn't too worried about it, but I couldn't make it work. It could have been... Um, something related to Podman version four, which has some networking changes that I understand. Uh, maybe the Minikube uh, release is not supported yet, or it's just the fact that they even in the Minikube side, they even said that it is an experimental driver. So it's not very reliable. So I hope it gets there. But that was my, that was my only blocker that I had to actually use one of my clusters as a backup. Right. So the blockers on Minikube, did you try any other type of like Kubernetes setup? I have Minikube running with Docker before and it was working. Right. Okay. That's the extent of it. Okay. The other one that I can try is Minishift, which is the Minikube version of OpenShift. Mm. Um, I don't know. That might be interesting to try. Uh, I'll give it a go. I'll report back. So what do you it. think? I mean, what do you think, like Docker, the company thinks about Podman? Because it's it's just clearly like, oh, you guys are doing that. I'm, we're going to do our own thing then, and it's it's kind of the the bane of certain types of open source for companies, right? Where you build something, and the free product's too good, <laughs> so their commercial offerings aren't. They don't ever. They're always uh, they feel shoehorned in, you know, and so mm -hmm. then your really good product, which is open source, when you try to make money off of it or something, someone goes, oh, I'll just make something else um, that's free and g goes completely around you. I don't know. What do, you, what do you think Docker thinks about that? Have you read anything about it? I have um, Not much. It is interesting, though, that Podman is very focused on CRI-O, C-R-I-O, uh, which is the implementation of Kubernetes runtime interface, a container runtime interface mm -hmm. uh, with some standards around containers, right? The OCI and the Docker manifest and some of those things, which again, I'm probably talking outside of my comfort zone here. To my understanding, Kubernetes has always been more compatible with Podman than with Docker, especially on that layer of runtime layer or runtime part of it. So I think it's a good player. And I know from working with OpenShift clusters that even in some documentation on Red Hat, they tell me to use Podman as the default or as, as the standard thing. Outside of that, so I, I think it's a 
it's a real player. I, I don't think it's it's something that is just out there and it's never it's not getting support from big companies or anything like that. So that being said, Docker is Docker, right? It, it's the king. Um, yeah. I like their approach. I think it's fair for them to make some money out of Docker desktop for bigger companies. And it's still free for anybody that doesn't reach that level of 250 employees. So I don't think Podman is going to pull a lot of a lot of use cases, especially because it's an open source project. It doesn't have a lot of marketing. Like they can go after Docker users. But I don't know. I, I the fact that we have more than one option for containers, I think it's a good thing for all of us. Yeah. That's, I agree with that for my, sure. Yeah. That's cool. So if if you are if if you want to spend some time with it, I think it's gonna be fine for you because I know how you use it and some of the people that might be listening to us. Again, we talk about like the need to run containers in our machines for somebody that works in small backends or front ends like you and I. It's not much, but it's good to have a tool that works. So Yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah give it a go. Okay, cool. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that was great. Great friction log. I learned some new things. I'm going to try it. So that's cool. And then next up, I think we'll do something with Turbo Repo and and uh, some of these other things that while we're trying to open source our web app. Yeah, definitely. The, the frictionlog.com website, we want to open source it as a template for anybody to go and have a blog. I don't know how many of the features of the podcast we'll have up there, but maybe we can add them as optional that you can turn them on and off and some styling. So that's that's the plan. And some of the th things that we talk about at the beginning will help us get there. So I will see you in two weeks and maybe we'll have the good news out there. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Cesar. Talk to you later. Thanks, man. See ya.